Hello, and welcome to episode 76 of the Movie Brats Podcast. I'm Carter, and joining me, as always, is Jonathan. How are you doing, Jonathan? I'm fine. I'm looking forward to talking about my favorite film that I've at least seen so far from 2022, and a film that I really don't like overall and have a lot to say about. Well, well we're going to start with uh, what is apparently your favorite movie that you've seen so far of 2022. It is The Banshees of Inishirin, directed by Martin McDonough, um, who was previously uh, well-known for being a writer of plays, but transitioned into movies in the early 2000s, or I guess you'd say late first decade of the 2000s, within Bruges. Also made Seven Psychopaths and Three Billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. This movie stars Colin Farrell, Brendan Gleeson, Carrie Condon, and Barry Cogan. It is about two lifelong drinking buddies who find themselves in an awkward situation when one of them suddenly decides to end their friendship. It originally premiered September 5th at the Venice Film Festival and was released wide in the U.S. October 21st and began streaming on HBO Max in early December 2022. A Metacritic score of 87 a Rotten Tomatoes score of 97 and has really cleaned up the National Board of Review Awards. It was named one of the top 10 films of the year, won Best Actor for Colin Farrell, Best Supporting Actor for Brendan Gleeson, and Best Screenplay for Martin McDonough. Um, I guess you've already called this your your favorite movie of 2022 That of the ones that you've seen, so uh, the floor is yours for, for why exactly you think that to be the case. Well, I've been a big fan of Martin McDonough since I saw his uh, first feature film in Bruges, which stars the same stars as uh, Banshees. It's Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson. And uh, I've actually gone back since then. I saw in a film class, he won an Oscar for best short live action short for a film called Six Shooter, which also has Brendan Gleeson. Uh, But yeah, Banshees is like all of the films, just incredibly well written. The screenplay is just, it's like a Quentin Tarantino or a Billy Wilder. He's just like one of the great modern screenwriters. And you could just read the script for this film and be immensely entertained. But it has great performances. I think that there will very likely be four acting Oscar nominations for this film. Colin Farrell, who's actually never been nominated before. He's going to be lead actor. Brendan Gleeson, the supporting actor, even though I think that really he should be lead actor. Co-leads, basically. Right. Uh, Barry Keoghan is wonderful in the scenes he's in. And uh, honestly, uh, Carrie Condon is uh, like the front runner in the best supporting actress races. uh, In a very male-dominated movie, she's uh, sort of the outstanding female presence. Right. I would absolutely give it uh, best picture, best screenplay. Um, uh, at, at least a few acting wins for me. I'd have to think of everything I've seen from last year, but it's a very funny movie and it's a very sad film, which is not true of most movies. A film <laughs> so funny and witty and laugh out loud funny. And when it's not laugh out loud funny, just very clever and entertaining. 
but it's also a profoundly sad melancholy film and i love the balance of those two because it is like you know 50 50 it is a comedy drama it's very funny but it's also dramatic and serious and, and tragic in the, in some uh, parts of it right and uh i've heard some people say but why is he doing this like why is in i won't i don't we don't want to give away the extremes to which brendan gleason's character does not want to be friends with colin doesn't even want to associate with colin farrell's character right and some people i think uh may question like what's his deal like why is he being like this all of a sudden but uh i think it's a film in a weird way that is uh you can understand martin mcdonough standing in for the brendan gleason character and also you could say partially he's partially both care of the lead characters but brendan gleason's character has these more artistic aspirations and he feels like hanging around with his lovely and entertaining and nice but kind of dumb friends is perhaps uh not he's not using his life as well he sort of started to think in terms of like eternity and centuries and not necessarily the present moment which is sort of all colin farrell's character can think about um has almost no awareness of you know eternity or things lasting generations and stuff like that so i i feel like in a lot of ways i mean People, I guess, could question the realism of this movie, but for me, it's not really intended to be like a realistic movie. It almost—it sort of starts as one, but kind of becomes almost more like a parable or like almost like a Greek myth as it goes on. Um, that's, it kind of reminded me of uh, The Killing of a Sacred Deer in that way, another Colin Farrell movie, where eventually it starts sort of becoming something that is it's sort of not really grounded in reality anymore. Um, do you know what I mean by that? Yeah, it, but I would say the difference is Killing of a Sacred Deer is almost like a horror film and it gets like really disturbing. And yeah. uh, Banshees gets disturbing in a small way, uh, but there is more of a kind of melancholy in Banshees and Killing gets to be almost like... Uh, Supernatural. Right, yeah. And I think that one of the things about Banshees that works so well is that it's this contrast with this beautiful landscape, this, you know, beautiful little seaside village, you know, and it's set a uh, hundred years ago and it's, you know, there's this backdrop of the war going on, which you don't really need to know about if you don't know the history of it. I mean, I frankly didn't really know uh, much about it, but it, you know, obviously is a connection to the, the, two men fighting each other but it's interesting how there's this beautiful landscape uh, and yet there's this you know really toxic and disruptive sort of senseless violence right yeah and even the violence in it is kind of funny in a sick way <laughs> yeah well yeah um but yeah bringing up the sort of iris of war aspect of it i saw that at least one person was sort of analyzing uh the movie through that angle and that's sort of the two characters represent um sort of ireland and northern ireland and and how even for those people there isn't any real reason why they're killing each other it's almost like something more abstract and that's how it sort of comes down to the sort of relationship between these people there isn't really a reason or like they become reasons but that's not sort of how it started and things escalate to a point where now that's the reason but like how it all started in the first place is like almost like a mystery to everybody involved so i thought that was an interesting way to think about it uh, as sort of like a parable for 
the interaction between Ireland or the Republic of Ireland and Northern Ireland, um, which is not, obviously not something you need to be aware of to enjoy this movie, like how you mentioned you like hardly really thought about it from the angle of the Civil War at all. It's literally in the background. Of yeah, that. yes. It's like you don't you sort of hear gunshots or like see smoke, um, but they're on like an island that's so self-contained that like almost you know it exists sort of in a, a world outside of them that they're only sort of vaguely aware of um and all the different warring factions and stuff like that but i don't know it, it made for sort of an interesting uh sort of thematic uh little through line in which you can analyze it which i know that some people are doing but i mean it, it very much is like a movie that is open for all kinds of different lenses of interpretation or um analysis so it's definitely one that I think is going to have, you know, pretty good legs for the future with people thinking about it or, you know, writing papers about it and stuff like that. So um, that I mean, it was sort of exciting in the, the moment to sort of like see the movie become something bigger and bigger as it goes on and take these like, you know, levels, like I said before, that are almost like a Greek myth or something like that. Um, it's I don't know. It's like one of those like Irish songs. It's just like so sad. And you're like, why do, why do they like stuff that's so sad? It's like, oh, it's because I don't know. It, it makes you feel something. And um, I don't well, know. It, it reminded me of something like that, like an Irish ballad or something. Well, I mean, one of the reasons it's one of my top it's, it is my number one favorite film of the year so far is that it's just it's such it's so refreshing for a film to have dialogue like people. Yeah talking these days there's so many movies that are so driven by spectacle and special effects and this movie is incredibly well written it's very funny and then you have just this array of great actors just delivering you know i think this might be colin farrell's best performance it's certainly his best and he's so perfectly cast because there's this you know just the kind of innocence behind his eyes and he's so funny and kind of there's kind of a sadness to his character like a patheticness to it but you feel sorry for him and uh or you always love it when he uses the the irish accent in the movies um right i feel like all of his best roles he he uses that accent i mean even minority report he like you know isn't playing an american uh so I, I very much always prefer Colin Farrell to be playing an Irish person than an American. And this has been a really big year for him. I didn't see all of his movies, but I know after Yang was very well reviewed. Yeah, I saw um, that. I, and a, I'm, a couple I'm, others, right? The Batman, he played Penguin. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's right. In like an unrecognizable role. Right. But yeah, I, I've always felt like, it, especially in like the last eight years or so, he's really done some interesting films. You know, he's done two with Yorgos Lanthimos. We mentioned Killing. He also did The Lobster. You know, he was, uh, I mean, he's been in Terrence Malick movie, The New World earlier. And he's been, you know, he's worked with some really interesting directors. Sofia Coppola's The Beguiled. Yeah. You know, he, he really does interesting work. And uh, yeah, I think that I would be, I mean, I'd have to stop and think of everything I saw last year, but I, off the top of my head, I think I would pick him for best actor and I would pick Brendan Gleeson for supporting actor and I'd probably pick... Uh, Carrie Condon for supporting yeah, actress. Yeah, and I, I do want to single out uh, another actor from Killing of a Sacred Deer, uh, Barry... Barry Kogan. Kogan. Yeah. <laughs> there, there's a scene where he's talking to the uh, sister played by uh condon and it's just it's so heartbreaking and and you just feel so sad for him and yeah and and the film manages to be very funny and very sad at the same time even in the same scene yeah Yeah. i mean he's a he's a really excellent young actor um 
been in some really really good stuff dublin or sorry dunkirk 71 um which was a pretty cool movie about uh, set in ireland that came out a few years ago um but yeah really really good actor i think colin farrell is one of those people where i think i think brad pitt suffers from this a little bit is when you're just like so handsome sometimes you aren't really considered as for your acting talents i know that's probably more common for you know female actors when they're like so attractive that they don't really ever get recognized for their actual ability but i I think that also happens with male actors and i think colin farrell maybe was a little bit i definitely happened with mcconaughey too before he had the mcconaughey where it's like how can someone you know so attractive be a good actor and um it's it's good to see him you know being recognized for just what a strong and gifted actor that he is it's kind of surprising he's never been nominated for an oscar before uh, yeah, I mean, it's one of those, it's like half surprising, but half not. Um, because he's, you know, been in a lot of really good stuff and has performed really well in those things. But he just isn't sort of thought of as like a top tier actor in the same way that, um, or at least like a prestige actor the same way that like, obviously Daniel Day-Lewis is an extreme, but, right. you know, you have levels below that. Like um, even Bradley Cooper for a little was getting nominated for everything that he was in. Um, sometimes it's like it seems like once you get nominated for one it becomes like almost like a thing where it becomes easier to get nominated in the future because now you're on that level where you're like an oscar worthy actor and for some reason colin farrell was just beneath that um almost until now it seems and you know he still hasn't been nominated yet but i think he would very much be considered the front runner at this point Um, right i think that i think banshees is going to be one of the most oscar nominated films because it's going to get best picture nomination for acting i think certainly screenplay nomination i think it could get nominated for best director uh we'll see and i think like you know unlike uh most of the movies actually we talk about and definitely the one we're going to talk about next i think it actually has been a box office success i mean i can't imagine it was a expensive movie to make i'm not finding a whole lot of stuff about the budget but the box office was over 20 million so not like a smash hit but um i think enough people saw it yeah um so we can we can move on to a movie that definitely is not going to make money it has a real chance of losing um you know not recouping half of its budget basically that movie is babylon directed by damien chazelle who previously directed whiplash la la land and first man it stars Margot Robbie, Brad Pitt, and Diego Calva, and chronicles the rise and fall of multiple characters during the transition from silent films of the 20s to the sound films of the 1930s. Uh, it originally premiered in Los Angeles on December 15th, 2022, was released wide in the U.S. December 23rd, a Metacritic score of 61 and a Rotten Tomatoes score of 55, so pretty divisive. Um and it's reviews. And I know that this is a movie you have some strong opinions about. <laughs> like I said in the last episode, uh, Bones and All, it's a film that's been on top 10 list and worst 10 lists. Um, yeah, I, I don't hate this movie. I just have really fundamental problems with it. I The number one thing is I don't understand what Damien Chazelle is trying to say, like why he made this movie. He said uh, in an interview about how it's a uh, poison pin letter to, uh, he, yeah, he says, um, it, I'll direct him quote, he says it's a poison pin hate letter to Hollywood, but a love letter to cinema. 
And basically for over three hours, you have this, this real debauchery, you know, literal shit and piss and, you know, all this. Bond. Even beyond that, like death. and Right. And, and it's just this, I found it really mean spirited and ugly and glib. And it's just like, and it's a, I mean, it is a comedy drama. It's like, it's supposed to be funny. And he's just looking at kind of the absurdity of the early days of motion pictures or really, you know, the transition from silence to sound. And then he wants you to care about the characters after he's been mocking them and making them look ridiculous and grotesque for, you know, hours and hours. And I don't really know. And, and then you, I don't want to give away too much, but it has this ending where someone is going into a movie theater and gets moved by the power of cinema and I'm like, but you've just spent like three hours just like reveling in the shit and the piss and the 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 nastiness of Hollywood. And I, I don't get what he's trying to like. I it, I I wasn't entertained by it, and I didn't get like why he wanted to attack Hollywood so much. Like what? Well, his- and it's one of those things where I think it's a I think it's a Godard quote. Like you can't make an anti-war movie because sort of just like seeing violence is kind of why people go to movies. It, it, anytime you like film violence, you're in a way celebrating it. So I guess you could say this is like a criticism of Hollywood, but it's also like supposed to be entertaining. And I think it's, you know, people compare it to something like the Wolf of Wall Street, which is also something that like we see despicable behavior, but we're also sort of entertained by it. Um, but that movie has a much sort of clearer like intent and it may not be like rubbing your nose in its message and it doesn't necessarily like make a strong statement against um you know whatever practices it shows in the movie but i think it trusts that its audience is going to understand what it sort of considers to be good and what it considers to be bad and in in a way that i don't think this movie has the sort of you know like really clear idea of the message it wants to send in the way that wolf of wall street did well, Chazelle wants us to ultimately care about these characters. And like I said, you spend like three hours just showing how ridiculous and disgusting there are. You know, they're projectile vomiting and they're having <laughs> yeah. snorting massive, you know, mountains of cocaine. And then he wants us to care about the characters. And I just, it's like on a certain level, I found that the the final, the climax of the movie moving and I like the idea of it, but it's like, you didn't earn this and it also is i remember in the mystery science theater 3000 episode overdrawn at the memory bank which is a film with raw julia where they are constantly referencing casablanca one of the robots on mst said uh you know don't you know reference one of the greatest films of all time in your shitty movie (laughs) and this film you can't not think of singing in the rain and then at the end of the movie not to give too much away it directly shows some of singing in the rain yeah and that movie is one of the most joyous and beautiful and funny. And it shows the kind of ridiculousness of Hollywood. And yeah, it criticizes Hollywood while also celebrating it in a much more coherent way than this. Yeah, does. without, you know, elephant being shit. <laughs> yes. <laughs> or and, you know, people having champagne bottles smashed up their buttholes by. And it's also strippers. like, and it's, and I, I've seen some people say too, it's like, it's it seems like it's a movie made by someone who doesn't love hollywood and it's like someone who is making a movie about debauchery that 
doesn't really understand like it's just there's just this hollowness to the movie to me and i i do think some of the performances are really good i think uh diego calva who's yes. you know, basically been in nothing before this hardly uh is really strong and i think margot robbie is giving it her all but even like brad pitt is just like there's not a lot to his character no there and, isn't and also the 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 people of color like the black character what happens to him in the film is basically what the film does to him it's like all he is is his race like he's just yeah. the black character and there it's for a movie that's like three hours and nine minutes long it never really it goes back and forth between the characters so much you never really feel like many of them are fleshed out and at the same time it, it's just really repetitive like there's just all these different scenes of kind of crazy antics and there's a whole section in the last third where toby mcguire that is very much like boogie nights and it just it just feels tacked on it's like okay we're gonna have another scene where we're gonna see some do something the- crazy <laughs> i know and it just gets kind of numbing and not in a you know the the movie that i really think that this i compare it to from last year is blonde and i really liked blonde i think blonde's actually one of the better films of last year and i understand people that have serious issues with that movie but that's a serious movie that is tackling what the film industry and that's the people yeah people and and it's does and it's it's a harsh movie it's a disturbing film but it's very serious and i feel like babylon is just this flippant glib you know it's it's like nelson Muntz going ha ha look at these stupid people and it's like but then at the end like oh isn't this sweet (laughs) and i don't mind you know like a poison pen letter to hollywood like i don't mind that but it's there's something just kind of really mean spirit and i don't like know where damien chazelle was like coming from like why is he so filled with like it's it's just like an why does he think 20s hollywood was so awful (laughs) Yeah, well, I mean, I'm talking too much. I mean, what did you think of it overall? I mean, I think there were some scenes that I found, like, really, really interesting. Especially, I think it's sort of the first half hour is this, like, extended party that's almost like a Gatsby party that, you know, I could take or leave. But sort of the next extended sequence is, like, Diego Calva's character's first day on a movie set and Margot Robbie's character's first day on a movie set. And I found that, like, 30 to 40 minutes very, very exciting. And, um you know, actually it, it carried me along because like Spike Jones delivers this crazy performance as like a German movie director and just so much is happening that 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 sort of little bit I found the, the most effective part of the movie. And I think if it had been a little more like that um, and less about sort of like more about the, the actual making of the movies and less about this sort of may or may not be true, how crazy they were partying outside of it, because yeah, because they, there have been some people who have even criticized how realistic the depiction of of the partying really could be. I know Paul Schrader is one of the people who mentioned um, that maybe some of the drug use is, is exaggerated to quite a <laughs> serious extent. Um, and Schrader so, should know about drug use in Hollywood. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Been, but um, I, and, I, I'm, I, and, you know, I'm a big fan of Damien Gisela. I know I liked First Man more than you did, and I liked La La Land more than you did. And, I think probably like Whiplash about equally because we both think it's one of the better movies of the last decade. Oh yeah, um, I, Whiplash is one of the best theater experiences I ever had. Funny, La La Land was one of the worst theater experiences <laughs> because there was the theater, like everyone ran out of the theater like 90 seconds before the 
in credits because they thought someone had a gun in the theater. Yeah. Being anyone. But Not besides, ideal. Yeah, I, did, I didn't like that. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I just, I, it, it's almost like Jordan Peele for me. It's like he started out, I know Whiplash wasn't his first feature, but it's the first one I saw. His and first with, major one. Yeah. And like with each movie, I get a little bit less impressed with him. And I feel like, you know, there's just, I, maybe I so much praise right from the start wasn't necessarily the best thing for him well i mean he still is clearly a very talented director but with this movie it just is it's also just so frantic it just it's it's kind of exhausting well and i think maybe one of the things that made whiplash so effective is he did a student film before that and the movie itself were made on a pretty tight budget and this one the budget is just outrageous it's like 80 million dollars so um maybe in the future he won't quite have as much of a blank check and maybe you know the best parts of him as a director come under more tight circumstances than something like this offers which is just it seemed like he could basically do whatever he wants and what we get is kind of just like this this like massive beast of a movie that almost is like totally incomprehensible so well don't um, you think it just gets repetitive too oh definitely and it, it almost becomes just like stuff happening just for the sake of showing crazy stuff happening right. um and I, you know i think diego calva's it is gives a good performance of it i think he has a really interesting face um for movies and right. it's always cool to see a big movie where you, there's just a face that you really haven't seen before and um so that was kind of <laughs> i wouldn't say it's like a star making performance or like you know we saw like the first because people have to see a movie <laughs> yeah exactly but you know I, I was pretty impressed by someone who i've like never seen before kind of being almost the lead over brad pitt and margot robbie and in a lot of ways you know does a has a bigger impact on the movie than brad pitt does which is i think maybe more of a testament to how kind of underwritten brad pitt's character was than than anything else it was almost like someone i don't know who were supposed to sort of come in with like what we think of his kind of character is supposed to be. So that's sort of supposed to do the legwork, you know, for the character that we think of Douglas Fairbanks or someone like that. And he never actually really becomes like a real character in a lot of ways that I kind of found disappointing because um, I don't know. It's hard not to compare this movie to once upon a time in Hollywood because Brad Pitt and Margot Robbie are both in it. And, you know, it's about Hollywood and people in Hollywood and, you know what they do sort of outside of the movies they're in and how they think of their career and stuff like that um and this just falls so so short of that movie that um ultimately yeah, think, it was pretty disappointing yeah I, I and I, I think it falls short of another movie that has margot robbie which we mentioned the wolf of wall street where that movie has just i mean that movie you could argue is overlong too but it needs to be too long it's about indulgence and you never get the sense that Scorsese wants you to sympathize with these characters, yeah. find them interesting, find them compelling, but they're awful bastard people to quote. From and at the end, they don't have like some sort of like come to Jesus moment where it's all okay. No, and... He's still a con man. At the <laughs> yeah. Call him the pen. And I just I, like, like in and of itself, the final scene of, uh, this movie babylon is is kind of moving and effective but it isn't earned with the th nearly three hours that came before it yeah i agree with that and i don't understand too where like there's this whole montage of like the matrix and terminator too it just feels kind of like and then weirdly like a a, a number of 
uh, experimental film footage. It's like, yeah. it, it seems so random. Like, and then it becomes literally experimental itself with just the blobs of color, which was kind of cool, but it just seemed like, I don't know. It's just, it's such a mixed bag of a film. And, and we should say that, you know, with a lot of movies done on the scale, the cinematography, the production design, the costumes, the period detail is exquisite. Yeah, it's all fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, it, you know, on, on a technical level, I, I certainly think the film uh, could get and deserves actually some of the technical Oscars. But I, I, I really don't I really hope this doesn't get nominated for Best Picture or, uh, you know, any of the acting is even though I think some of the acting, some of the best qualities of the movie, it, this really isn't a Best Picture contender for me. No. And, uh, you know, I think it's we're probably not going to see anything like it in the future. Cause I mentioned uh, when we started talking about it, but um, it, it's a paramount movie. I think they didn't finance it completely, but I think they did a pretty big chunk of it. And they were the ones who released it theatrically. And um, the reported budget is 80 million. And right now it's at 12 million domestic. So it's not going to get close to breaking even. So I bet um, that uh, like next weekend, there's going to be a number of theaters that it's going to leave. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's it's some one of those things where you see the budget of 80 million. and It's like, so who who thought this was a good idea? Who thought audiences were going to show up to see a movie about Hollywood in the 20s? Like, right. And, you know, it's like <laughs> it, it's like Tarantino talked about in uh, recent months about how there really aren't movie stars anymore. Like if Brad Pitt, Margot Robbie can't, can't attract an audience yeah then i know and, and to make this little money over christmas i mean this was a big christmas release i think one of, i heard someone say this and i think it's true the film probably would have done better if it had been platformed and released in limited release and expanded over a number of weeks but just yeah, to yeah. drop it right at christmas is just, and it's not a like let's get, <laughs> no. it's like the opposite of that <laughs> i know and uh yeah it's it's just and it's like the the to be clear like the debauchery and the drug use and the sex and all that it it, it doesn't offend me or the bodily fluids it just it it honestly felt like a nerdy little kid who's obsessed with movies going ooh look how cool transgressive and i am and it's not really like it's yeah. it's it's like a i mean it's definitely an r rated film but there's just something not earned. well yeah it's an r-rated film made by the guy who did la la land so it's like right he's not like martin scorsese or you know someone like that who can really take you to like what seems like a dark place I, this tries and but it, it i don't know it's just it's like you said i don't really know what he's really even trying to do with it i don't know and what the comedy sort of point just, he's trying to make and the comedy is just too broad like there are funny moments when it's so scatological yeah that it's like it's almost entirely based around just like poop and yeah vaginas vomits everywhere <laughs> yeah it's like you know this isn't yeah it's almost hard to like classify it as a comedy because it isn't really funny um but it's, it's trying almost just to done be for funny. like it's trying to be funny and it's trying to be like shocking and that's that kind of is its biggest failing because I I like I've even said like and you mentioned it like the thing that I guess even Damien Chazelle said is like we want it to feel like Wolf of Wall Street. It's like, well, that's one of like the funniest movies I've ever seen. And this just doesn't come close to it. 
and it um, just feels like you know in having like so much profanity and it, it just feels kind of childish like it feels silly and childish too much of the time for his rough and you know uh kind of like you said scatological and as hard r-rated as it is there's something kind of childish to me about the movie and like not serious yeah yeah and i mean it's it's pretty disappointing because when this was announced i had i got pretty excited like you know damien tazel doing a movie about hollywood with brad pitt and margot robbie it's like oh what's not to like about that and right. yeah it's just it's just it was a mess i mean this almost feels like a heaven's gate kind of thing we're just like someone who's like a really talented director just got a budget they could do anything with and it just turns into a disaster i mean we'll see if it, it i don't think it's gonna bankrupt paramount <laughs> like heaven's gate did to united but, Arts, I but i don't even think it's interesting enough to be considered like a heaven's gate it's just it, it's just a, not a it, it's a disappointment of a film with good aspects but it just doesn't work overall and i my i fundamentally don't understand why he made the movie and what yeah. why he's so nasty about hollywood you think if it was a disaster it'd be more interesting <laughs> what's well, also like he seemingly has had like a really incredible you know for being someone so young to have whiplash and la la land and you know he he's like you know i think he might be the youngest best director winner i ever. think he is yeah yeah and it's like what what does he have to be so angry about hollywood <laughs> about hollywood yeah it's, it's treated and, and you it's pretty like, well like nearly a hundred years ago like i there, i just like i don't get his beef you know i i don't get why, why he's and I, like i don't even yeah, it's almost like his like mother died because of hollywood or something like that <laughs> how much he seems to hate it and i don't mind someone making you know kind of a you know like a poison pen lettered you know that you know attacks hollywood i mean i watched a movie uh a few days before it called bombshell from 1933 starring gene harlow directed by victor fleming and like honestly that movie is much more legitimately funny and has a harder bite sure yeah and it's like this you know screwball comedy from the 30s and yeah stay home and watch bombshell (laughs) yeah yeah or watch whiplash again um yeah what are good uh hollywood satires there's I, I think you could call Sunset Boulevard kind of a satire. Well, sort of the ultimate one is Singing in the Rain, and that's why it, it's, this movie almost seems like irrelevant because mm-hmm. almost like Singing in the Rain's existence justifies this movie and like I guess Jamie Damien Tazel's head in a weird way because some scenes in it like are literally like almost like remakes. Like there's a scene of a costume drama, and I think even the dialogue Margot Robbie's character is saying right. is from Singing in the Rain. So yeah, it's it was, I it's. I guess from that sort of intertextual thing, it is kind of interesting because it's like such sort of like an obvious intertextual movie that almost wouldn't exist without the, the other text. Or I mean, not even almost, it just wouldn't, it wouldn't exist without Singing in the Rain. That... But to me, it's like overdrawn in the memory bank showing, it's like, don't, you know, don't put the, in your crappy movie. Don't <laughs> the, show like maybe the greatest American movie ever made. <laughs> yeah. And it's and that movie is so joyous and life affirming. And this one is just like the opposite of that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like you said, I think Blonde actually probably is like for as much as people think that that's like a misanthropic movie or like a mean spirited movie or, um, you know, sort of like trashes the, the legacy of Marilyn Monroe. It, I think it does make the audience care a little more about, you know, what people in power are doing to this person more than you do for, say, Margot Robbie's character in Babylon. 
um who in a lot of ways seems to like bring it on herself in a weird way it's a weird character it's a i think it's a difficult part for margot robbie um it's it's kind of like a thankless role because the stuff she does is just like so crazy that um i don't know it's just weird as an audience member to follow her journey um and and it doesn't i don't know there's it's i mean it's not like movies are supposed to have payoff but um it's just she was her character was treated so strangely i was like and don't you you agree and one thing i i heard another critic point out is that it's like you get the sense that diego calva's character margot robbie's character like don't really like keep in touch and see each other all the time over the years but he has this infatuation this love for her like where is that That, yeah that motivates like every action that he takes yeah Right. Like it doesn't really earn that now. He's gonna like risk his life and run off with this ditzy, you know, who's like ditzy. addict, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was yeah, I pretty disappointing. Not totally, you know, unredeemable. I think there were some I would say interesting if scenes. If you're like a fan of classic films, I it there is enough that is at least interesting and you know i was about to say the word provocative but i don't think it earns that word but it is worth seeing as a misfire but it's still like there's still enough there to make it worth seeing once yeah i think so way too long though (laughs) yeah well two period pieces set in the 20s um one that i think we both liked a lot more than the other um but anyway thank you for listening and we will be back next time Thank you.